Hey, happy Father's Day again. You know, I know that so many of you fathers, you, uh, if you're honest, you realize that you're not maybe a really good father, but I just want to let you know that um, in the United States, t about 25% of children grow up without fathers in their home. So if the least that you're doing is just sticking around, uh, you know, thank you for that. And although you may not be perfect, then your children, as they grow older, they start to realize there are flaws in their dads. But you're, what your children really need from you uh, is for you to communicate just by your presence, just by not abandoning the family, that you value them. So for those that uh, are trying, those that are sticking around, thank you so much. And and keep doing so, and, for the, and, and those who perhaps who didn't grow up without fathers, know that your perfect father uh, loves you and has never abandoned you. So thank you so much. You know, it's not a secret that we currently live in a very uh, divisive time. And we live in a time of uh, a COVID division that the world is divided in some way by uh, those who are sick and those who are healthy. Uh, when I talk to certain doctors, they tell me that uh, there are portions of their hospitals that are devoted, sealed off uh, for COVID patients. And when healthy medical workers go in and interface with the sick people, they, are, uh, inter uh, they interface with masks, shields, uh, full outfits, uh, rubber gloves, um, and the space between the two, the healthy and the sick, is protected by plastic sheetings, and even the ventilation systems are sometimes even separated. There is also a division, uh, a, a great division, that's happening politically. Uh, it oftentimes uh, shows up in protests, and on one side of the streets, are those who believe that, uh, that we need to protest against racial and social injustice. And it's not simply black and white, but those who believe that there is racial and social injustice, uh, they believe that even if you're uh, staying silent, that you're becoming complicit with those who are uh, perpetuating this injustice. And on the other side uh, of the street, they believe that yes, there may be and there probably is racial and social injustice, but uh, those on the other side, uh, you're using the wrong means uh, and almost being anarchist and you're adding to the problem. Each side believes that they are healthy and perhaps the other side is sick. And most people, if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, believe that we are on the, the right side, or hopefully on the right side, and it's the people on the other side who are not only uh, medically sick, but spiritually, socially not right. And there may be some of us who believe that we are sick too, but it's because we're victims of those who are oppressing us. You know, our passage for today, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, verses 
13 through 17, it is a, a great metaphor of how Jesus looks at the great divide. And it may not feel uh, explicit, but implicit in this narrative, we see God, man, cross and deal with that dividing line. And so if you have your Bibles, or if you're watching on the screen, let me read for us. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray for us as we continue. Lord Jesus, we come before you. May we humble our hearts. May we kneel um, at your word, knowing that, that, Lord, our hearts are deceitful, and it's the word of God that divides and pierces our hearts. And, and so be with us at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, what Jesus does, he, he crosses the barrier. And uh, as, we are, as we look at the story, we will realize that Jesus invited the sick and he dined with the sick. It says in verse uh, 13, after having a number of healings, if you recall, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. The dealings that Jesus has had so far were with medically sick people, but now he encounters Levi. His Greek name is Matthew. He becomes one of the 12 disciples, and he is the author of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew. And what is interesting about this particular disciple is this. When the list of disciples are oftentimes uh, read to us or written for us, Matthew is the only one who is identified by his profession. Matthew, the tax collector. You know, it's not a secret that tax collectors were uh, despised by the Jewish culture. Uh, they were politically despised because they were collaborating with the oppressive regime, the Roman Empire. They were religiously despised because their constant contact with Gentiles would mean that they were ceremoniously religiously unclean. And they were morally despised because they not only collected taxes for the Romans, but they collected more than they needed to so that they can become wealthy in an unethical manner. If systematic injustice was used in that particular culture, tax collectors would be the very definition of systematic injustice. In fact, when the New Testament wants to refer to a category of people and they are drawing from that particular culture, 
to refer to a category of people who are immoral, unjust, spiritually sick, and separated from God, the New Testament oftentimes uses tax collectors to refer to such people. You know, uh, tax collectors would have been uh, like Jewish collaborators during the Holocaust. Or they would be like um, uh, an African-American who is helping and abetting the Ku Klux Klan against their own people. And Jesus walks by Levi, or the tax collector, and I'm guessing that his disciples and others who were watching him would have expected Jesus to rebuke, condemn the tax collector. But instead of doing that, he says to Levi, follow me. He invites him into the journey. You know, if um, Jesus was starting a spiritual religious movement, you would think that he would pick those with institutional clout, a person who perhaps has a large following, 10,000 or more IG followers. Or, or perhaps he would have asked people who had deep biblical knowledge, but Jesus doesn't do that. He's first started with a, a group of fishermen. And then he chooses someone with great liability, a tax collector, someone who is deeply despised. And I'll tell you, there's another reason why this was so odd. If you, um, once Jesus kind of rounds out the, the 12 disciples, there is an odd thing that you'll notice here in Matthew 10. So Matthew himself now lists the disciples. The names of the 12 apostles were these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, he alone is mentioned, uh, described by his profession. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, Simon, the zealot. Now, a zealot is someone who is a militant uh, expression of the Jewish resistance. They're the group that disliked, hated the Roman uh, oppression so much that they would use violent means to, to do harm to those who are Romans and those who collaborated with the Romans. So a zealot would oftentimes attempt assassination on Jewish collaborators or Roman collaborators. So, so the zealot would have tried to assassinate someone like Matthew, a tax collector. And it is interesting that Jesus would invite both of these into the table and say, let's start a movement. Let me ask you a question. Jesus, when he begins his, his ministry, he invites all sorts of awkward individuals, including one who is so despised, so disliked uh, by the Jewish culture. Someone whom people identified as, this is the category of people who've uh, systematically hurt us, brought us a great deal of pain. Let me ask you a question. In your life, in, in, in your sphere of relationship, who 
are the categories of people? Who are some of the people that have brought you, your family, those around you, deep pain? And in your heart, when those categories of people are mentioned, your natural reaction is, Lord, judge them, condemn them. Let's protest against them. But it is interesting that Jesus, instead of condemning, instead of rebuking, right now what he does is he invites them. You know, one of the charges, one of the big criticisms of Jesus uh, that the Jewish uh, authorities had against him was that Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. They said, how could you do that? We continue. Jesus not only uh, invited the sick, but he dined with the sick. Verse 15, as he, was, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with him uh, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Uh, Mark is not explicit, but in Luke's account, we're told that it was Levi or Matthew who put on a great party and invited all of his friends. You know, and I'm sure that the other tax collectors who were there weren't redeemed, meaning they did not come because they had become followers of Jesus Christ, but they just came because their old friend invited them. And it says that it wasn't only the tax collectors, but sinners. You know, it's interesting. There's a category of people. This category of people, New Testament also uses sinners. It's not a political arm. It is not a profession. It is not a religious sect. But this category of people are identified by their lifestyle, what they did. Oh, they're the sinners. And, and people in their culture looked at this group of people and, and said, they're the sinner. In our culture, in our moral standards, everyone knows that they are sinners. We're not quite sure what they did to be known as a perpetual sinner, but in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus is giving a, like a parable, and he, and he says this, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first, and they said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the what? prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So in a lot of other places in the New Testament, we see tax collectors and sinners in this particular verse, it's tax collectors and prostitutes. That in that culture, there were a category of people who did that as their profession. This is what their lifestyle, this is what they did. And Jesus refers to them in this manner. You know, and, and I'm not sure, but could it be that Matthew just became a Christ follower? He was so excited. He invited Christ. Hey, come, Jesus, would you come to my home and, and have a meal, you and all the other disciples? I've invited a lot of my friends, and here were the, the other tax collectors, the group of people that the Jewish people really despised. 
really would not normally have a meal with. And then there were these sinners. Could it be, I don't know, that they invited a bunch of prostitutes? It kind of reminds me of a, a bad Korean drama where the corrupt politician and gangsters are in, in, in those rooms. I've never been in one of those rooms, but, and, they're, and they're drinking, and there are these ladies that are serving alcohol. Could it be something like that? And, and Jesus was there, and the disciples are feeling all uncomfortable. Are, are we allowed to be here? Is this right or wrong? And in fact, it says in verse 16, when they saw that, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It was bad enough that Jesus had called or invited Matthew, and perhaps Matthew was a good tax collector, or at least on the way to repentance, but why does Jesus, a rabbi, a holy one, why would he so intimately spend time with unregenerated tax collectors and sinners? After all, dining with someone, especially in that culture, is not simply eating at the same time in a certain proximity, but dining with someone, eating with someone is a communal experience. It's relating to them. It is um, a closeness. And, and, and I want you to kind of think about why this was so. In the Jewish culture, when you ate together, you did not sit six feet apart from one another. You reclined really close to one another. You took your bare hand and, and took your unleavened bread and you broke your unleavened bread and you passed it on to the others who were dining with you. And you took your broken unleavened bread and you dipped it in a communal sauce in which everyone else then dipped. And I'm sure they took bites and then they double dipped again and again. You know, if someone was sick in that table, everyone was sick afterwards. And when they saw uh, Jesus doing what he did, they were appalled because the Jews, especially the religious Jews, had been so trained to be clean when they dined and in, in the way that they lived. In fact, um, before they ate certain meals, they were supposed to, to uh, ceremoniously wash their hands. That they were not to come in contact with certain um, unclean individuals or things. And if they did touch, let's say, a corpse, they were to self-quarantine themselves for a period of time. And so to dine with those whom they deemed unclean was something that they just couldn't understand. And you know, you and I, in this particular era, we may not necessarily think of um, dining with someone as being kind of an unclean thing. We don't necessarily think of people as, well, those people are dirty or I can get infected, etc. But the mindset behind 
what was there really exists around the world and, and still, I believe, exists in the United States. Um, now, June 19 uh, was the day that uh, the United States celebrated the em emancipations of, of slaves in this country. And even post the freedom of, uh, of the slaves, uh, we all know that there was still deep-seated racism in this country. And it is so much more prevalent than I think you and I could ever imagine. I think many of us are just kind of learning as we read and watch videos and listen to interviews, uh, some of the history in this country that we did not quite realize. In fact, even after the emancipation ordinances, whether it be state or local or um, even um, informal, and, and by the way, the city of Brea is not exempt from this, did not allow colored people, including Asian Americans, we are colored, uh, to live in the same neighborhood with, marry, eat in the same uh, restaurant with, drink from the same fountain with, sit in the same section of the bus with, use the same swimming pool with white people. And you think, well, that, that's just a long time ago, isn't it? A Christian university called Bob Jones University, uh, and I, I knew about this university because one of my friends from seminary was a graduate, and he is half a a uh, Asian and half white, and he had married a Caucasian wife, but he said when he was at that university, Bob Jones, that he was told by school administrators, we don't want trouble from you. You know you're not supposed to be dating interracially. Bob Jones University repealed the interracial dating uh, prohibition from their university in the year, listen carefully, 2000. Meaning that that school ban had existed just 20 years ago. Why was it that um, in, in the United States that um, certain groups of individuals uh, were prohibited from swimming in the same pool and that after um, colored people had swam in that pool, the, the pool had to be emptied and refilled and cleansed and all that. And it's because people thought that other people were maybe not clean. When the Jews looked out, there were people who were oppressors whom they despised, and there were people whom uh, they looked down upon, and they said, you know, we don't necessarily want to associate with them. But Jesus, the holy rabbi, not only invites them, but he sits and has an intimate relationship, a meal with them. It is scandalous. Let me try to kind of explain, give an overview of how we ought to understand all of this. In this little drama, there are three categories of people. The first, I'm going to call them the despised. The tax collectors were the despised individuals. They were despised because they were part of the institutional problem. They had caused so much pain. 
The second category of people, I'm going to call them the diseased. It's not simply the sinners, but the Jews thought that Samaritans, as well as lepers. So um, the sinners were considered unclean morally. Samaritans were unclean ethnically. And the lepers were unclean medically. But all of these people uh, had a what the Jews believed were spiritually cursed. They were cursed by God. But what both of these categories of people had in common was this. Listen carefully. That the tax collectors, sinners, Samaritans, and lepers were thought of as being unrighteous by the Jewish culture or spiritually sick. And not only that, if they themselves had been asked if a Samaritan had been asked, if a tax collector was asked, if a leper was asked in this particular period of time, are you as an individual right with God? Are you healthy, spiritually healthy before God? Are you uh, the kind of person who is accepted by God? They themselves would have said, no, I am not righteous. I am unclean, I am separated from the grace and blessings of God. If you kind of think about the New Testament, you kind of think about any time a sinner, a Samaritan, a leper, or a tax collector is mentioned, they don't boast of self-righteousness. They're the ones who are more broken and desperate. Now, let me point out that there's a third category of people that Jesus is dealing with in this particular narrative. And they are, what the, in this particular story, it says that there were the scribes of the Pharisees, meaning they were the, the biblical scholars among the most conservative Jewish religious party of the time, along with uh, chief priests and Sadducees, they comprise the religious elite. They're the ones who had uh, positional, intellectual, practical, and and um, just the, the popular religious righteousness. And we find that this group of people repeatedly look at the other group of people, the unrighteous, as, as if they are diseased, and, and they despise them. That they believe that these, this group of people were unrighteous or spiritually sick. And the reason being, and the reason being is simple. The reason why they had an arrogant, haughty, self-righteous attitude is because they themselves believed that they were righteous and spiritually healthy. That they did what they needed to do in terms of knowledge and life, etc., to be right with God, and they were clean, and they wanted to stay away from, be protected on the other side of the plastic sheeting, on the other side of the street from those who are dirty. And when Jesus hears the complaints of the religious elite, this is, an, this is what is very interesting in verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. His statement, first of all, is a statement of compassion. 
He says, I did not come in order to hang out with the holy, the righteous, or the healthy. I came for the sick. So of course I'm going to invite them and I'm going to heal them. But it is also a rebuke. The, the tax collectors and sinners knew that they were spiritually sick, that they were unrighteous, but the religious elite thought that they were healthy and that they were righteous. And what Jesus is kind of saying to them is this, I came for those, and this is the New Living Translation interprets this for us this way. I came, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And the rebuke that Jesus is giving to the religious elite is this, I came to those who realize that they're spiritually sick, that they're unrighteous. What Christ wanted from not only the sinners and the tax collectors, but he desperately wanted the religious elite to know is this, for them to not rely on their self-righteousness, but for them to come to a self-awareness of what Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through 12, when he quotes the prophet, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless, no one, is, no one does good, not even one so even so, um, instead of believing that they were righteous and the others are unrighteous, what Jesus wanted from them is this, and if I can illustrate this in this graph, is for the chief, the religious elites, the chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, not to believe that they are on this healthy side of the street or healthy side of the plastic sheeting, but for them to realize they belong here, alongside of and on the same side of the, the lepers and the tax collectors. That's what Jesus wanted from them. And if you, if you kind of recall the encounters that Jesus has, and some of these religious elites, they do come to that conclusion, and they, and they come to Jesus and ask, how can I inherit eternal life? But by and large, so many of them are stuck because they believed in their self-righteousness. But as we stand on this side of history, I want us to be careful. You know, when we see that particular uh, chart, the religious elite, I think the problem is this, that in our culture today, when we think of a Pharisees, we think of hypocrites. We categorize them as unhealthy individuals. And in fact, most of us would think that tax collectors are, or Pharisees are much worse than prostitutes in our culture today. And so we look at that and go, yeah, yeah there's something wrong with the, the religious elites. Of course, I'm not like them. And so mentally, this is what we do. We have, in our minds, put the religious elites on the pharisaical, uh, religious, fundamental, uh, unhealthy, unrighteous group, and we mentally are on the other side when we are right before God. 
And if we do that, that they are the racist, that they are the anarchists, that they are the sinners, that they are the problem, do you see that we're doing exactly what Jesus doesn't want us to do? And Jesus says, I came not for those who believe that they are healthy, but those who know that they're sick. And so what Jesus wants from us is this. If I can have the, the final paragraph. Listen, this is where we need to be. That we belong here. That we are desperately unrighteous and sick. And that what we need as the, the, the band comes up at this time, for Christ, who we are told in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That for us, we need to come to Jesus because we are sick, because we are unrighteous, and we are desperate. And so, um, for those in the room and those who are watching, I want... You, I want us to come to Jesus, not as healthy people, but as sick. And if in our hearts we see others as sick and not ourselves, that's, I'm telling you, that's a warning. That's, that, that's a warning to us from Christ that don't look at the sins of others and not your own sins, the racisms, racisms of others, but not our own racism. Because if we do, then we're relying on self-righteousness, but not on the righteousness of Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your grace. We pray that that it is not not on the basis of who we are, but who you are and what you did on the cross. We rely on that and that alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.